Well, hello everyone. My name is Luke and I wanted to start by saying to all the dads out there and to my dad, happy Father's Day. I hope that this service can be an encouragement and a blessing to dads and to everyone. I hope everyone has an opportunity to hear from God today during this special service. And to help with that, I've invited a special guest to join us. Well, he's special to me anyway, and I'm delighted for you to meet him. And that is my dad. Hey, dad. Hey, Luke. Good to see you. Uh, I want to get everyone acquainted real quick. This is Dave Erickson. He is uh, the son of a preacher and the dad of a preacher and of three other kids doing awesome stuff all over the country. He and my mom are now in Colorado, Colorado Springs at Academy Christian Church. And when they're not there, they're probably trying to chase around one of their eight grandkids and even getting ready to welcome another grandchild. Not at our house, thankfully. Um, but for my sister, Jacqueline, you finished strong. Um, anyway, Dad, thanks for joining us today. Thank you for making it a priority to keep, um, to cover that distance that separates our family. Thanks for doing this. I'm grateful for it. Looking forward to talking to you, hearing some of your reflections. I th well, I know, I think we're going to enjoy this. This is going to be good for us. <laughs> I hope it's uh, helpful for other people as well, uh, whoever might be tuning in. Yeah, let me give a uh, great thank you for allowing me to participate with the Mountain Church family. Every time Paula and I come, we enjoy the richness of that fellowship. And I also want to be uh, just very grateful to my friend Ben, who has had a real key role of leadership, shepherding, and encouragement in your life, Luke. We have much respect for the ministry that you're a part of there. Yeah, it is a good good place to be for sure. So, Dad, we're having a little fun uh, with those commercials, the turning into your dad thing. You got a moment when you remember realizing, oh, man, I've turned into my dad. Yeah, no doubt. For me, it would have to be uh, related to the hairline since my <laughs> dad was a little shiny on top. Uh, I think you're going to show a picture of Grandpa here. Uh, everybody would let me know that I was uh, looking more and more like my father, and I did not. <laughs> take that as a compliment because what they were informing me of is that every day I was getting a little older, a little balder, and that was an aspect that I was not interested in uh, reflecting <laughs> my father, you know. <laughs> I have not yet joined you there. Not yet. I, I don't know. We'll see what happens. Of course, for me, Holly is always pointing out when she sees the resemblance, um, letting me know. I think one moment that stands out to me, I remember catching myself when someone would ask me something like, well, was it Tuesday today? And I'd respond with all day. And I'm like, yeah, that's the classic response <laughs> of yours. There I go. I'm saying dad stuff now. So <laughs> a lot of fun we could have with that. Clearly, those commercials are, are building upon that humor. But here's where that helps us today. Here's the big idea today. When we lean into that idea of growing up to resemble the people who've gone before us, we're really getting at something that is at the heart of what it means to follow Jesus. Not that the Bible calls us to turn into our parents exactly, but the Christian faith is built upon the idea of imitation, of seeing an example and following an example. We're, we're creatures created in the image of God. After all, we have this calling, this purpose to represent God to the world. And the more we look like our heavenly father, the more we're able to fulfill our purpose. That You've seen that, Dad. You've taught the scriptures for 40 years. You see that idea is threaded throughout the whole Bible. Really. Yeah, obviously, uh, God is the one who sets the pattern. His creative design put it in place and he sets him up and we become image bearers of that. Mm -hmm. Uh, the prophet Isaiah says in chapter 51, the first couple of verses, 
look to the rock mm. from which you were hewn and to the quarry from which you were dug. Mm. The second verse of that chapter says, look to Abraham, your father, and to Sarah, who bore you. Mm. Now, there are so many times in our lives where you have to remember where you came from, and, and you use that as this tool for redirection for our behavior and choices. And the prophet makes a point to say there's good models out there someplace. Mm -hmm. Even if you go back to Abraham, that's the kind of quarry from which a good stone is chiseled. The family that God multiplied to bless the world was built upon Abraham's faith. It was passed on through generations, leading all the way to Jesus, who then arrives and he directs all of that attention to himself and he says i'm the one to emulate i and the father are one so imitate what you see in me reproduce that you get paul who wrote a lot of the new testament he says be imitators of god uh, as god's dearly loved children and then several other places he's saying to the church imitate me as i imitate mm. christ that's the role of a leader that's the role of a father that's the role of a mother of anyone who has influence that the example that you put forth would bear a resemblance to your heavenly father. Yeah, it's an incredible calling. And I'm reminded how daunting it is to say something like imitate yeah. me as I imitate Christ. I mean, right. sure, God's the father. He's the example. And with him, it always works. Right. He, he's holy and pure and complete. But when you think about the father-child relationship on a human level and, and the way the imitation is supposed to be part of that relationship, uh, there's an awful lot of uh, intruders, limitations mm. that get in the way. In, in God's case, mm. it's always holiness that's mm. the model. But in my case, uh, sometimes we learn from what we're not supposed to do. You know, I remember when, when you were just two years old, Luke, we, we were driving, we were in a K car. Had to be the cheapest car that Chrysler ever built. <laughs> I don't know what a K car is, but apparently. <laughs> <laughs> we're driving a K car and you're in the back. And uh, in your car seat, two years old, and somebody buzzes around me, does something stupid. And I, I respond by uh, expressing, you stupid, whatever, jerk, whatever I said. But, <laughs> but in the back comes this little voice that says, Daddy, we don't say stupid. Yeah. yeah. You know, oh. that, ev that event was 35 years ago. And I'm still hearing that corrective, challenging little voice. It's powerful. Yeah, and it reminds me, we, we worship a God who presents himself to us as Father, and that's supposed to be helpful. That's supposed to be an endearing insight into God's character, that when we imagine what a Father is like, we'll be able to see God more clearly. But we also realize that not everyone had a great image mm -hmm. of a Father. Uh, that's not always been helpful. And I, I would imagine that there's a number of us that feel that, especially on Father's Day. This, this could be a very hard day. Uh, for a number of people, maybe because dad was absent or he was there, but it was in a way that was harmful or you never were able to form that a strong connection. There's plenty of us that don't have a healthy picture that helps us know what being a father is all about or helps us know what, being, what God is all about. So imitation, following an example, maybe it hasn't been helpful for everyone. It, it, it'd be destructive or it'd be harmful if you tried to do that. So it is possible to draw closer to God through an earthly father, but we realize it's not always what happens in every case. You know, as, as difficult and as painful as that can sometimes be, it does remind me that some of the deepest admiration I have for people are those individuals who have stopped 
systemic generational flow of poisonous things that intrude into families and homes. Luke, you and I were blessed to come from situations where uh, my dad set an agenda that was uh, was uh, was godly and honorable, and so that set an, uh, a helpful guide for us. But um, I'm thinking of a, a dear friend of ours, a fellow by the name of Randy. And I remember Luke, you 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 baptized him, and I remember when he baptized his wife and uh, his sons. Uh, but I know where Randy came from, and so do you. And uh, he was making this stuff up from scratch as he came to know the Lord. I admire those who have stopped harsh, challenging things and set a, a good model for those that follow. And no matter who you are, it's clear none of us gets it all right. I didn't bring you here today, Dad, to say that you did. I know that you oh, man. pretend that. And unfortunately, I know whatever seeds of evil reside in the worst fathers also live in me. I know they're there. I have been absent at key moments. I have had a harmful impact at times. And more often than I'd like to admit, I've, I've been a lousy example. But yet, by God's grace, and, and by the ways, honestly, that God has used you in my life, I am blessed to have been drawn to God in many ways through our relationship. And I, I'm very grateful that for me, that default model of doing what my dad did, that's been overwhelmingly positive for me. And I'm grateful. It's been something worth imitating. So what I hope that could be helpful today is to single out a few examples of things that I've taken from our relationship that have both drawn me to my heavenly father and helped me better reflect his image, hoping that regardless of anyone's relationship with their earthly father or wherever you are out there in your role as a dad, wherever you are in your role as an influencer of any kind, that somehow through this, God would reveal his true self to you. And that somehow through it, you'd be better equipped. You'd be encouraged then to better reflect God's image to those who are imitating you. So that's what we're going to try to do today. We'll go there, Dad. I'm eager to do this and hear some of your reflections on this as well. And the first thing that comes to mind is something that it really provided a framework for our whole relationship. And that's the way that you talk about boundaries. I've reflected on that. I've relied upon that a lot, especially now being a dad myself. I preached on this a number of times and taught on it. I know you've done that as well. So just talk about the ways that that concept of boundaries has been formative for you and in your relationship with your kids. The idea of boundaries is such a precious and heavy concept, mm. an idea so substantial that, that if you don't get that foundational element, you really mess up a lot of things in life and a lot of people, too. Sure. Boundaries, uh, they're awkward to handle because they present some opposing forces, it seems. Uh, one force could be seen in, in a mother watching her preschooler out in the front yard trying to teach the restriction of a of a sidewalk. Don't go beyond the sidewalk mm. now, Johnny. Stay away from the street. I mean, this mother's drawn a line. and It's a very inspired, loving protection that she's offering, shepherding and nurture. And the boundary that she gives screams about her care and watchfulness. It's clear that boundaries are very precious. They, they bring value, richness to life. And God's boundaries are, are such things for us. Mm. The odd thing about boundaries, however, is that there exists another force for whenever one is set, when a boundary is set in place. I, I experience this, this magnetic draw somewhere in an unreachable spot down deep in my spirit. And it's like a, a curiosity that begins to imagine, oh, 
I wonder what it's like on the other side of the sidewalk. <laughs> yeah. I, I've noticed my own struggle. Most have struggled and maybe still are struggling to comprehend and put in place a very foundational component in life, boundaries. You know, another confusing thing about boundaries, Luke, it, um, often the people who are assigned to teach me boundaries and even those who are assigned to protect and guard boundaries aren't always doing very well with them themselves. Yeah. A dad may become uh, very practiced at barking out orders to children and yet if each evening he's sucking his supper out of the neck of a scotch bottle, mm. children have a terrible time understanding boundaries. Mm. Boundaries are hard to, hard to learn. Boundaries are hard to teach. Mm. But, but it was really the result of that tension that was really pressuring me early on as a dad to, to consider how in the world do you, do you guide your own children to treasure that concept? Boundaries are, are a very mature idea. Dia, how do you start a discussion with a child who's anything but mature? <laughs> Yet this boundaries concept, really, it, it's the bullseye of maturing. And so we, you and I, we were making these attempts at it. Uh, you were attempting it too. And for some reason, it seemed like 12 years old for you. Yeah. <laughs> it was the place where the defining teaching needed to to take place. Yeah, I was 12. I got the first boundaries talk at 12. I remember <laughs> I was in trouble. I was in my room. I don't remember what for. But what a I, surprise. Yeah, I was that was where I was serving my punishment. And then you came in, you had this premeditated speech on your mind. And uh, tell us how that went. <laughs> yeah, I don't remember what it is that you did uh, either. Uh, yeah. Wish I kind of could. But yeah. I remember we uh, we just kind of grabbed a piece of paper and we grabbed a pencil and then we started to have a conversation around this yeah. concept of a, of a square. Um, he said, uh, a square represents a boundary. And then I would ask, uh, do, you, do you know what a boundary is? Uh, a boundary is where when you say you're going to come home at a certain time, you, you actually come home at that time, not five minutes later, not 10 minutes later, you don't forget all, all you come home when is, that's a boundary. Okay. Or, you don't you don't lie to me you always got to tell me the truth and if you lie to me that's outside the bound you understand what boundaries are and then i said i just want you to know that that this square let's say it represents the boundaries that are in your life right now at 12 years old okay well here here's the goal between the time of your 12th birthday and the time of your 18th birthday um you and I both really want these boundaries to grow. We want them to expand. And so that ultimately by, by the time you're 18, my promise is to you that I am going to physically, deliberately, specifically erase all the boundaries that I have responsibility for in your life. And the only boundaries that are left then remaining are the ones that you choose to have in your own life. But you'll be the one who decides that. Now that's the goal, okay? <laughs> and now let's talk about process. Here's what I want for you. I want you to, to go anywhere in the boundary that you want to go. I mean, go all over, have fun, get to every corner, try everything you want to do, go for it. But the boundaries expand and grow when I can trust you 
And when you honor the guidance and the limits, we will trust you more, widen the things that we're allowing you to do, and the boundaries get bigger. I will intentionally, purposely make those boundaries larger and give you permission. But on the other hand, when you lie to me or you try to manipulate events so that you're not taking responsibility for what you've done, I want you to know that your your boundaries will get smaller. As a matter of fact, it will be so specific. Uh, your boundaries will shrink so fast, your head will spin. Okay. <laughs> but ultimately, see, you're, you're the one who has the ability to expand your boundaries. Okay, you understand the process. I want to grow your boundaries. And when they grow, I'll be so proud of you and so excited for you because you have earned the right for your life to broaden. But but remember, my responsibility right now is to help you learn to live in, in boundaries because all of your life from this point on is kind of organized and measured by how you do with that concept. Now, it's interesting to me how many times, Luke, uh, that square on the paper turned out to be the source of a lot of conversations yeah. through the teen years as there were times when your, your life expanded widely and there were also times when your life got narrower <laughs> for yeah. a time and we would give it another run you know? yeah we don't have to talk about all those uh, <laughs> and, uh yeah expansions there, there was some of that and it, it was a framework it was a really helpful framework that i can understand at age 12 and was helpful even instructive through the teen years and it's foundational even now i see it and Certainly that's integral to our relationship with God. He offers us life within limits, which interestingly is the most freeing thing we could experience. So a lot more we could say about that. But another, another foundational thing to life for every person is the forming of identity, right? Mm -hmm. Who am I? And there's a lot I could say about the ways that, that you help me form identity and shape my understanding of myself. Well, let me just name a, name a couple of things. I can remember being a young teenager and I began to start having some success, success athletically. I started to play up with the older kids and with higher levels of competition came higher levels of expectations. Sometimes those get voiced by other players or parents or coaches. And I remember you telling me, everybody gets a chance to be 14. And that was designed to, to take the pressure off a little bit. In other words, don't worry about performing to everyone's expectations of what you need to do. You just be who God's called you to be. I remember you often saying, almost with an eye roll, like, everybody's got a plan for your life. Okay, <laughs> Like, don't be surprised at people trying to get you to form into the image that they want to see or for you to grow up faster than you're ready for. You just be 14 for now. I mean, work hard. Give it your best shot. Bring it. Okay. But you're 14. And in the eyes of your heavenly father, that's okay. And I was thankful to have an earthly father that was telling me the same thing. And then similarly, at 18, everybody, when you're 18, especially this time of year, right? Okay. Everyone saying, well, what are you going to do? Where, what, what are you going to do with your life? Hope you got it all figured out. And every 18 year old's getting that question this time of year. You feel like you got to have a lot of pressure to produce an answer. You got to have it all figured out. And I think a lot of kids end up latching on to an answer may not even be the right one, but they don't want to be embarrassed to say, I don't know. And you gave me permission to say, I don't know. Uh, for as long as that was a viable, uh, or for as long as that, that was true. And I didn't have to pretend that something was different because I, I didn't know. I knew I was going to go play football. For me, I was undecided in my major. I didn't like anything other than football. Uh, I knew I, I didn't want to be a preacher, 
not, I, I didn't, you know, I respected you, but I didn't want to do that. And I felt no pressure from you to do that. No, no guilt, no passive aggression. There wasn't this driving compulsion to decide what you're going to do. Rather, it was more about modeling and encouraging me to consider who I was going to be. And, and that's where the measurement wasn't your standard. I didn't have to become like you or whatever image you constructed. That's where you pointed me to the image of my heavenly father. And identity, identity is forged when you understand yourself as created in the image of God. That's, it's foundational. And a person can live out that identity in any number of vocations, which of course comes into view when you discern your gifts and your passions start to emerge and different relationships and influences um, and different experiences have their way. And I just feel like your main interest for me from birth to 18 was helping me get straight on the identity stuff. The image of God, child of God, loved by God, gifted by God, dependent on God, saved by grace. That's who you are. Uh, that's what makes you valuable. Your value is not determined by how you perform or others evaluation of your career choice or the salary and the popularity that comes with it and all that. So all, all that to say, um, you helped me feel comfortable in my own skin and uh, I'm grateful for that. Um, so there's another thing that I'm also very grateful for, and it's a little harder to talk about, but it, it might be the most important. Um, when, I, when I think about our relationship and what has helped draw me to God, as well as helped my relationships with everybody, really, one of the most formative things that you did for me was apologize to me when you screwed up. Uh, I was able to see that modeled. And unfortunately, I think a lot of people in relationships are starved of the words, I love you. And I think it's also true that people don't always hear the words, I'm sorry, very often in a relationship, especially when there's such the, this clear um, uh, superior, like the parent-child relationship is a superior to subordinate relationship. Yeah. And so in a relationship like that, you see, when you see humility, it leads to repentance, which sets the table for forgiveness. I mean, those are such key ingredients or any relationship. And that was certainly foundational in, in our relationship. It's, it's foundational to our relationship with God. And I'm just grateful for the ways that you were intentional about baking all that into our relationship. Yeah, Luke, the, um, the most poignant example of this for me would, would have to trail back about 15, maybe 16 years to a place where you were about 22. Um, that was a season in my own life where I was struggling with several elements, uh, my relationship with the Lord, my relationship with Paula, your mom. Uh, we were actually approaching our 25th wedding anniversary. And, you know, you'd think that if you've been doing something for 25 years, you should have it pretty well figured out by now, you know. But um, I really didn't. Now, now there, there's a really long story that's involved in my own identity, my lack of forgiveness, my, my bitter spirit. I mean, there, there's a lot more that doesn't fit in this particular focus today. But I just want to lift out a central event. By the time I had finally sorted through frustrations and I had acknowledged that, that deep within, um, I needed to tell the story and identify to myself and people I love that I and for some reason, an angry man. Anger seemed to be the common denominator to my life. Not, not that I'm throwing plates across the room or hammers through a garage window, but I'm talking about the internal boiling 
that uh, was a standard experience. For some reason, I had trained myself to wake up every day at a, at a level five. I mean, I'm talking the anger level. I would just wake up angry. <laughs> and what that means, if a level two event happens in life, well, then I'm already at a level seven. I mean, everybody else, a level two event is just a level two. But for me, a level two already takes it up to a seven. <laughs> you know, there's a really good reason that both the Old Testament and the New Testament records be angry. But do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Give no opportunity to the devil. The reason the guidance from God is in those terms is this. See, anger actually grows in the dark. <laughs> so sundown was a boundary, a parameter on which feelings would get resolved. It made godly sense. Well, all of this is a short story of some wider things that, that I needed to try and fix in my own life. And at, at the end of the course, the fix had to do, as you might expect, with repentance. Mm -hmm. That is the redemptive power that God offers to us by his grace. Repentance is always very real, very practical. And I could tell you story the story of what repentance needed to look like for your mom and me. Mm -hmm. There was an important sequence there. But when that was complete, I really felt this burden to mm -hmm. repent before two sons who had grown up in my home and learned too much about how not to do life as they watched me. And I remember taking, uh, taking them aside, each of you, one at a time. And I tried to define my issues, uh, the damage that I saw. I, I needed to own certain things. Now I was attempting to, what I was attempting to do about it. And how I held a heavy sorrow for unwittingly teaching sons what not to be as a man. And, and that I, I'm sorry for that large wrong. I want you to be something better. I want something better for your own life. I remember when that description came to its conclusion, both you and your brother told me two things. One is when you watch the uh, description of what I had said about myself of being an angry man, each of you said the same words, dad, that guy is me. Oh, I can't tell you how crushing it was to hear that at the same time. What else could I possibly expect if that's what I had modeled in front of you many years? It was quite natural to uh, forge that kind of expression in you. But then the most important part of it came because when I asked your forgiveness, both of you said, Dad, I, I forgive you. When I think, I think back to that event, I, I, it was really clear to me that, that my apology meant a lot to you guys. But it's also true that, that your forgiveness from you and your brother meant a great deal to me on my journey of faith as well. Yeah, um, it was an important moment, and I guess I'm reminded, you know, it fit within this larger way of relating that we had, where, I mean, that was a big thing you apologized for, but you, you, when, you, uh, when you screwed up, you owned it, and you modeled that before me all the time, so there was something also that just wasn't even weird about it because I would expect that. I knew that you were living in submission to God's leadership when you recognize you're out of bounds. 
you uh, owned it and you walked that out before me and uh, I'm just trying to do <laughs> the same thing. Um, at the same time, I, I noticed, you, yeah, it's true that a number, like another, like a number of other things, the way I sin has resembled some of the ways that you sin. I've got some grooves in my life that have turned into some deep ruts of habit that have been hard to get out of. Um, now, the good news is they're not all blind spots. Yeah. Uh, you've helped me with that. I've, I've become more aware. I've become more able to repent, um, more willing to submit those attitudes to God. And, and that hasn't been without effect in helping me change. It's not that everything is all in the rear of your mirror. Yeah. But I don't know. I just when people ask me about my dad and what he did right, it's like I think about, well, he admitted when he did stuff wrong. That was that was huge, and it helps me, you know, to do that because I do a lot of stuff wrong, and at least I have some sense of how to bring a corrective and still carry on in life, um, in spite of that. And and so that was it's hard to underestimate, I guess, how beneficial even the less pretty things have been. Sure. I think we have time to mention one more thing, and uh, my mind goes to one of the final rites of passage that we shared before I moved out of the house as a conversation included all kind of good stuff where there was reflection and affirmation and gratitude. And, and then there was sort of this uh, release moment in which you said, uh, okay, I've, I've erased the boundaries. You're setting up your own boundaries now. And from this point forward, if you want my advice, you'll have to ask for it which I'm sure uh, wasn't easy to say, but uh, why was that conversation important to you? I think the conversation was important for me to say, but it was probably also important for me to hear. <laughs> yeah. Uh, because it wasn't necessarily what I was feeling at the time. I have a tendency to be a bit of a control freak. And, but here we are at a time to launch this young man into his own life. So what would it now be like for me as a father to release and support? There's such fine lines between those two ideals sometimes, but, but it seems essential that the impetus for guidance now be placed on the son's request, the son's interest, mm -hmm. rather than on the desire that I would offer my opinion, because I have lots of opinions. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, uh, now I'm getting launched out to form my own. Uh, that that was empowering for me. It felt like a gift, uh, like I was being entrusted with something. And, and it was reassuring, too, because I, I still felt confident that there was support that you would provide. Um, it was clarifying, you know, a DTR, a define the relationship conversation. Those are blessings to a, a relationship. There's expectations. There's terms of engagement, so to speak. And that's good when those things are clear and we don't often like change. And sometimes changes that we don't like, we just tend to ignore and maybe pretend they don't exist, but that's not what you did. In spite of how you felt about it, you embraced this one, called it out, uh, helped us both prepare for it, helped us be able to navigate it because we were, we're changing a phase. We were changing the way we were going to relate to one another. Yeah. And I was being launched into that next phase, which uh, has involved me asking for advice and welcoming your influence, um, largely because of all the foundational things that, that you've deposited over those 18 years. 
Uh, I think that's a good concept to close on because uh, when, when any of us encounters God, our Heavenly Father, uh, who, who loves you and welcomes you and forgives you, what you realize is that God also equips you and puts courage in you and sends you to go and reflect his image toward anyone who is imitating you. He entrusts us to have um, an influence. He gives us that responsibility. So fathers, he's given us that responsibility. Wherever you are, uh, we have that responsibility as fathers. No matter how imperfect we are, as much as we need to apologize for, as much trouble as we have choosing life within boundaries, we are the ones that God has called to lead our kids. And interestingly, uh, God gives us that same choice. If you want my advice, I guess you'll have to ask for it. And no matter how good of a dad you had or bad of a dad or how many mistakes you've made to this point, the best thing that any father can offer is a heart yielded to God, a life submitted to God, a life that seeks the wisdom of God, that, that follows the example that God sets. Because people are watching. Uh, someone will grow up to resemble you one day. True for dads and for moms and for anyone who has influence, which, which is everyone. Mm -hmm. um, so no matter how uh, close you are to your earthly father, I, I pray today that you'll be drawn closer to your heavenly father, that you would be an imitator of God because God is sending you to represent him among people whose best chance to get a glimpse of God may be by looking at you. Uh, choose God's boundaries. Find your identity in him. Uh, repent and forgive as you've been forgiven and empower those around you to do the same. Have the influence that God wants you to have. Uh, so dad, I, I'm, I'm eternally grateful for you. Uh, for what you've given me. Uh, I can't say thank you enough. I'm thankful for you today for sharing with the Mountain family and continuing to be um, an influential and uh, blessing, blessing kind of part of my life. Uh, the goodness that comes from you, uh, through uh, from God through you to me is so overwhelming and I'm just really grateful for it. I love you lots and happy Father's Day. Thank you, Luke, and for letting me share in this experience with uh, Mountain. Love that church family, and uh, love you too, son. Amen.